Welcome to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast, the premier provider of leadership consulting, culture shaping, and senior level executive search services. Every day, we're privileged to talk with fascinating people who are shaping the future through their leadership and vision. Now we're sharing our conversations with you in this brand new leadership podcast. Each episode, you'll hear a different perspective from thought leaders and innovators. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hi, I'm Rory Singleton, a principal in Hydrogen Struggles Industrial and Digital Practices. In today's podcast, Turning the Tanker, I'm speaking on Skype to Denzel Samuels. Denzel has recently joined HP Enterprise as Global Chief Channel Officer, responsible for growing a 20 billion revenue stream. Denzel is a British national who has lived across Europe, the Middle East, Asia and North America. He's worked for a range of highly disruptive technology organisations from Avaya through to Salesforce.com and also for what are quite often considered more traditional organisations including Northrop Grumman, Siemens and most recently GE. Denzel was hired into GE by Jeff Himmelt and Bill Rue to help accelerate its digital transformation with a target of doubling its market cap to $600 billion. Whilst there, Denzel led channels, alliances, business development, strategy and ventures for GE Digital. Denzel, welcome and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Hey Rory, thanks. Good to catch up with you again. Thanks very much for inviting me to speak. A pleasure. Well, thank you for your time. And Denzel, to start off with, can we reflect a little bit on that experience with GE, which has been notably setting the vision of completely reinventing itself to become one of the world's top 10 software firms by 2020? Can you talk us through how it has approached this? What are the key steps they've taken to achieve this radical transformation? Yeah, I think that uh, it started off as a defense posture a few years ago. You know, Jeff Immelt felt in order to grow GE, in order to double the market capitalization of the company over the next several years, what do I have to do differently? And I think the conclusion he came to is I have to build a software company that enhances and drives the digital transformation across the entire company, in, in fact, across the world. And so... Um, the way they went about it is to say, first and foremost, we've got to build a software stack. Right? We have to build an operating system that powers and drives the industrial internet. Secondly, we have to have a killer app. And in, in the, you mentioned earlier Salesforce. I came from Salesforce. The killer app there was CRM. The platform was force.com. Here, the platform uh, and the operating system is Predix. And the killer app is asset performance management. And why? Why asset performance management? You've got to start there for this reason, and it goes back to the defense um, reason I gave earlier. Two companies, uh, Uber and Airbnb. Uber, in terms of its valuation, has more value than the largest ground transportation company in the world and yet doesn't own a single vehicle. Airbnb has more valuation than Starwood Hotel Group and doesn't own a single hotel room. And the lens that Jeff looked at both of those through is to say, oh my gosh, this is a company that's found a way to make other people's assets more productive than the people that own those assets. What happens if some software company comes along and does that with my assets, right, with my jet engines and power plants and oil refineries and locomotives? I better figure out how to do that before anyone else does. And so... The way they've gone about it is to say, GE for GE, let's do it for ourselves. GE for the customer, let's extend it to our customers. 
and then GE for the world. And I, I think this strategy is just compelling and will absolutely uh, you know, drive the growth of that software business within GE and also drive in the fullness of time the industrial internet. Indeed. And, and just talk us through a little bit about that journey. My understanding is this started off in-house within the various structures of the business, but then obviously was spun out to create GE Digital. What was the logic behind that and the importance of that? Well, I think, um, again, when you look at the assets you have, and I, I, when I say assets, I mean there are pockets of software being run in all the various divisions of GE, and there were pockets of IT expertise and development expertise that were across all aspects and all divisions of GE. So I think if you really want to make something successful, you've got to focus and you've got to double down. And that's what was behind it. Let's lift all the software competencies. Let's lift the software assets. And let's put it all together under a chief digital officer. And five years ago, no one was even using the term chief digital officer. Now everyone seems to be hiring a chief digital officer to take advantage of digital transformation. And I think, again, that's part of the uh, the genius of, uh, of Jeff Immelt and Bill Rue to really say, we're going to unify all our assets and really create the critical mass to drive this software company and make it the biggest in the world. And your role within the, the business, we touched on that briefly earlier, but can you expand a little bit around what your remit was, what your key objectives were, and indeed some of the impacts that you saw over your tenure? Yeah, sure, Rory. I, my job was to build the ecosystem, right? And, and why is that important? You know, in this world of Internet of Things, um, building a solution to drive outcomes for your customer, it, it involves so many different players from independent software vendors and developers who are writing those applications to um, systems integrators, resellers, distributors, mobility providers, service providers, managed service providers, device manufacturers, virtualization players, containers, technology providers. And I, I mean, I could keep going on and there are categories that aren't even invented yet that are going to be popping up, right? So you have to build an ecosystem. You have to embrace that. You have to align that ecosystem. And what they do for you is they help you build the solutions to your customer. They help you market those solutions. They help you integrate those solutions. They help you sell them and service them. And without that ecosystem, you don't have scale. And you, you cannot be a catalyst for growth without it. And we saw that as, at Salesforce, right? My job at Salesforce was to build the ecosystem. And my job here at GE was to do the same. And, and that really is what I was driving at GE. And one of the things that we see quite often in some of the major industrial groups is, which is a benefit and indeed a negative in many ways, is a relatively low turnover of staff. So how did you manage to get the incumbent team on board, of which many of them will have been there for quite a significant period of time, and, and get them on board with that journey of such a change program? Yeah, Rory, you're right. It's a colossal change program. It's really a cultural shift. And, um, you know, Lou Gerstner, I think, said it best in his book, uh, Who Said Elephants Can't Dance? And he said, the culture of a company is merely defined by the behavior of its leaders. So if you want to set a new tone and new culture, you've got to bring in new leaders. And I think Jeff realized that. And if you look at the GE digital executive lineup, it is a lineup of new leaders. Bill Rue came from Cisco. Obviously, I came from Salesforce.com. And if you look down that leadership list, people had come from Oracle, from Red Hat, from Microsoft, from a number of major players across the software industry. And I think you have to do that. 
we also launched an advertising campaign that was funny, right? We where GE was kind of poking fun at itself, and I think people who have seen those ads remember them. They're very memorable ads. It helped drive an internal culture. So even though it was an advertising ad to the external community, people in inside the company started to talk about it. He also reorganized the company, restructured it, and created chief digital officers in every single one of the business units. There were chief digital officers that were created, and. Everything to do with information technology was aligned under one leader, and that was Bill Rue. So I think you know you f you form a strategy, you get the entire company behind that strategy, you organize to deliver against that strategy, and then you bring in new blood and new leaders to help drive a new culture. And I think they executed on that extremely well. Indeed. And just thinking about the talent that you brought on board, one of the things that we've seen as a difference between the industrial world of old and indeed the more disruptive environments is actually the perceived normality around having shorter career tenures in various companies. And, and can you just help us explain perhaps some of the logic behind that and indeed how, as one of those leaders in the business, how do you retain and grow the right talent to thrive in that environment as opposed to suddenly having somebody join and within six months passing on to the next opportunity? I think in the technology and software world, that is always the challenge, right? And I think um, one one of the, the hardest parts for GE was to not come across as being GE <laughs> in the world of software. So the strategy to actually build the software center in Silicon Valley was a brilliant strategy versus Connecticut, right, or versus the new headquarters, which is Boston, because your talent is already in Silicon Valley. It's already in that base. I think uh, another aspect of the uh, of the strategy was to do it on the East Bay, where you know real estate pricing was a little bit uh, better, where uh, access to talent was a little bit better, and people prefer to be living in that area than necessarily in the city of San Francisco, where it's so much more expensive. You know, the real estate prices you know double or quadruple as you start to get onto the West Bay side and, and then up to the city. So I think the location of where they put the headquarters I think was was very material as well. And then incentives. You have to align your incentives to what the market is doing, you know, in terms of stock options, in terms of equity in the company. Something that G hadn't been doing with people that were below director, but then started to do it when they created this software entity. Uh, it's always a challenge, you know. I think the retention rates of GE have been uh, pretty good, right? They've been uh, in single digits in terms of attrition, which in any so any way you look at that from a software perspective is, is very successful. Indeed, indeed. And, and and so if you were part of that team that had the learnings of what GE have done over the last few years very, very successfully, but I'm sure there have been some learnings and takeaways of, I wish we had done it differently. So if they could rewind time, what do you think they would do differently to help accelerate that transition or, or just make it more effective? Yeah, that's always <laughs> a great question. I mean, I, I it's a tough one to ask, but let me tell you what I think. Uh, if we were to do things differently it's really hard to build a software stack yourself from scratch. The fact that they did it and did it so effectively and so quickly, I think, was remarkable. I don't think only GE could have pulled that off. Um, I think what could have made a catalyst to drive faster growth is almost a joint venture with a software company where you're leveraging the assets of another software company but creating something unique for the market. Because I think that would have given you a two to three year accelerator 
on on um, where we were at the time I left, right? And I think you can still do that very effectively while retaining the IP you need to be unique and be your own software companies. Um, I think in hindsight, you know, maybe one of the things that could have really driven this faster is um, is a JV with an established player or a collaboration. I think back on companies like Galileo International or Sabre. Well, Galileo International, the reason that grew so fast and became so successful in the world of travel distribution, it was a software company. Actually, it was a cloud company before anyone was calling it cloud. But it took the assets of multiple different entities in the form of a joint venture and it was able to accelerate and drive that integration between all those various assets and entities very, very quickly. I think uh, that may have been a, a, a good formula for success here too. And just taking that formula for success, clearly GE and indeed many other organizations uh, are going through this transformation. GE appears to have been one of the more successful in doing that. So what do you see as the key hurdles that the industry is facing in making that leap? Well, one of the key hurdles is talent. I mean, just finding really outstanding talent to drive it at the leadership levels, but then all the way down. I think first and foremost, if you're going to build a software company, the first question you ask yourself is, does the market support it? Right? Do you Have you got a target addressable market that is huge? In the case of GE's target addressable market, you know, it, it's 300, maybe 500 billion in opportunity. So there was no question of that. I think you, you've got to, you've got to get the entire board, not just Jeff. I mean, Jeff certainly understood it and drove it, but he had to get his board on board with this because without that, it could not have been driven down. And then he got every single one of his CEOs on board with it. And then he set the tone for the company. Right? And then they, they went and hired new blood. The hardest part of this is figuring out where you exactly want to be in that market space and is it attractive enough? And then secondly, finding the right talent to go and do it. If you had to pick one lesson that you've picked up throughout your career in terms of how you support and incubate innovation, whether that be digital or indeed other formats, you know, what's the one that really stands out for you? You know, I've, I've used in different shapes and sizes, but it's usually the same formula. And that is when you're thinking really big and it's exciting, when you're talking about changing the world, when you're talking about driving growth at unprecedented levels, everyone gets on board with that. They get excited. Growth is exciting. Winning is exciting. So I use a kind of a three-step formula, and, and it's not revolutionary. It's not particularly original, but it works. And so I always get the teams to think very, very big. Think, and if they think they're thinking big, you've got to get them to think bigger. <laughs> if they're thinking billions, you've got to get them to thinking trillions, right? And then you've got to gain alignment across the board on that. So step one is think big. The second is you will never make any traction if you don't get focused. And focus is the key word. So you start small and very, very focused. And you move extremely fast and scale fast. So those are the three steps. And I think one of the things we did very successfully um, when we drove and built that ecosystem, Jeff asked me if I could hit 20 signed partnership contracts, sorry, 50 signed partnership contracts in a single year. And by using that formula I just outlined, 
I mean, you think how much time and energy is spent in signing a partnership contract with big companies like an Accenture or a Deloitte or an AT&T or these are big companies. I mean, just negotiating those contracts can take a heck of a long time. So everything we did, we said, let's think about if we had to do this a thousand times, what would we do differently? So every single thing we did became a learning experience and we it created within that culture of innovation a culture of moving with velocity and pace, but with accuracy. And so against that target of 50, we actually closed 500 uh, contracts in a single year with every single one tier one player in every single part of the category that I talked about earlier. And I think we wouldn't have done that if we hadn't had a simple formula such as that and moved with velocity and got that excitement and got that alignment across the team. And uh, and we were, you know, we were very fortunate. We were able to do that, and it drove incredible success for us in the first year. Fantastic, Denzel, an incredible story. But look, thank you for your time and sharing those insights on such a fascinating topic. Rory, thank you for the opportunity to do that, and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks look again. Look forward to it. Thanks, Denzel. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.